Welcome to the Kick Pod, your weekly DNM on the stuff that matters. One, two, three, four. Hello, Lawsy. Good morning. Actually, it's not even the morning. It's 2.50 p.m. Wow. <laughs> okay. Really losing track of time and days here, aren't we? Yeah. Wow. Uh, we also just had a lot of issues with recording this hello. Oh, yes. Because I said, was saying, telling Steph I couldn't hear her, but it's because she wasn't talking because she was waiting for me to say good morning, even though it's not the morning. Anyway, Podcasting let's get via into it. has been really hard. <laughs> We're getting there. We're getting there. So how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you going? I'm going good. That's good. <laughs> As you said, don't know what day it is, but getting there. Oh gosh, what's your special so, share this week? Good one. So the special share <laughs> this week is, where you, thank you for redirecting this intro <laughs> to some, or giving it some direction. Uh, the special share this week is following Oprah on Instagram. Oh, good one. Do you follow her? No. Yeah, I just started and she just shared a cooking video with Jamie Oliver or actually not with him making his pasta. And it was just like so cool to watch Oprah in her kitchen, like not getting everything right. That would be cool. Just behind the scenes. She just shares some wholesome content. Yeah. That's nice. That's <laughs> What is yours? That's a nice share. Um, I have two. They're quite random. So I'm glad yours was random. Um, <laughs> my, mine is the movie P.S. I Love You. And I'm sure a lot of you have watched it. I have watched it so many times. But I got to watch it with Josh the other day who hadn't seen it. And we were both in tears like the entire movie. And whilst it's incredibly sad, like a lot of what happens in the movie is so sad, it is such a beautiful movie. Um, and it's like... It's happy and sad tears the whole way through. And I just really enjoyed watching that. So if you haven't watched it or it's been a while, recommend rewatching. And then this is another really random tip I got. So I posted the other day about my friend's um, beauty service, how she's got these little nail kits to remove like gel nails. And I got a DM from my friend Blondie and she said that, because I said something about letting my nails grow out and like letting the regrowth get as long as I possibly could before I'd have to remove it. And she said, no, don't do that because if there's any lifting in your nail, if water and stuff gets under, particularly these days when we're washing our hands so much, that fungus like can actually grow underneath your nail and infect your nail bed. So like, ladies, don't let them grow all the way out. Definitely remove if you've got any gel or acrylic nails. That is is a health tip. Can I just say, um, (laughs) amazing advice by Blondie, but I could have given you that advice to not grow your nails out to the point where you can cut them because <laughs> gross. No, but you see, I'm the true winner here. I took my SNS off last, whenever it was, maybe three months ago. My nails are now finally back to hard, not flaky nails. It's like you knew it was coming. Well, also, I don't like having my nails done, couldn't maintain it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> anyway, uh, that was really great advice. Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> No worries. You're welcome. I'm sure a lot of girls will find that helpful. Uh, yeah, if they didn't know it already. If if anyone thought that they were going to do that as well, let us know. I'd actually love to know. <laughs> I'm not saying, like, grow it all the way out. I just, I'm just saying, like, because you're not really seeing anyone. It doesn't really matter that you've got a bit of regrowth in your nail, like, at the you bottom. Were. People who get their nails done regularly will know what I'm talking about. I feel like you're imagining the worst. You know what I was thinking of? That video on Facebook of that lady that, like, broke the Guinness World Records for the oh my God, her nail no. length and it all curls You can around. still file your nails <laughs> to make them shorter. Okay, let's, we're totally off topic here. Let's, like, maybe talk about kick or something. Oh, we've got the new workouts. Let's talk about that. So, yes. the... <laughs> Let's get off the 
nail topic. The Wellness Hub, uh, where you can find our equipment-free workouts. Um, after some feedback from you guys, we have added some more because we know you're loving them, but we've also got some strength-based ones. So body weight, strength exercises with no equipment needed um, for you guys to follow. So that's a little update on our end. Yeah, they'll be added in today on Wednesday. So now for today's episode. Yeah, so this one actually is an interview that I did. Um, And I'm going to explain after Steph and I finish talking, I've got a little mini intro where I go into my personal experience um, with the topic. Today's topic is anxiety. But I just wanted to introduce our guests for you guys. So in today's episode, I'm joined by the very special Dr. Jodie Lowinger, who is a doctor of clinical psychology, high performance coach, keynote speaker, media commentator, and Australia's most thoughtful leader on how to manage anxiety and build a resilient mindset. She is on a heart-driven mission to help people to move from anxiety to action, to empower people with hopefulness and practical strategies that transform. And I can tell you guys, I know you haven't listened to it yet, but I really recommend listening to this one. I'm guessing, I mean, you're already listening, so continue, (laughs) continue listening. Um, I learned so much uh, during this and Jodie is the creator of something called the Mind Strength Method which is four steps to manage anxiety, build high performance and a resilient mindset. Um, And she's also the founder of the Sydney Anxiety Clinic. And in in this this chat, we speak about how common anxiety actually is. It's just crazy um, how many people suffer from it, the different types of anxiety, how to stand up to worry, what is worry, what is stress, what is the difference between anxiety and stress, and why we should not see anxiety as a weakness or flaw. So we hope that you enjoy this one. Just before we get started, I just wanted to let you know there are references to suicide and self-harm in this episode. If you do need help, you can call Beyond Blue at any time. I have put the number in the show notes. So before we get into today's podcast, which I hope you really, really enjoy, I wanted to speak through for you guys. This is Laura, by the way, um, my personal relationship with anxiety and my journey with it for so long. Well, first of all, I never thought I would have it and I'd heard about it so much, but I thought that it was not very common. Um, Not many people had it. And if you had it, it was almost a flaw, um, which it pains me so much to say that I used to think of it that way because you'll hear in this conversation that anxiety is something that is so common and it is it is not a flaw at all. Um, but for me, I my anxiety started with a lot of worrying. And I used to think, though, that it wasn't anxiety because worrying was normal. But I was worrying to the point, um, I'll, I'll give you two examples that, uh, that might help here. Um, when I was staying home alone when uh, Dalton travels my partner a lot for work and when he would go away I wouldn't sleep Um, and if I did sleep it would just be for for you know half an hour or an hour um, when I'd managed to calm myself down and tell myself that I'm safe but I would be I made up this worry in my head that I was going to be um, not safe 
when I was home in the house by myself, even though the house was super secure um, and there's, you know, there was no way and why would someone come, come into the house or something happen? But I just had this fear in my head and I was so sure of it that I wouldn't be safe in the house. So I would stay awake all night so I could protect myself, which just sounds so silly when I say it out loud, but that was my reality for quite a long time. Um, but I, again, I just put that down to worry. And then I was, um, I travel a lot for work and I also have an uh, allergy to nuts and I'm anaphylactic to nuts, which means if I have them, my throat swells up, I can't breathe, I can't swallow, and then um, I can stop breathing, which could be um, fatal. And I was, I have caught planes, you know, my pretty much since I've started traveling heaps, maybe since I was, I've started traveling a lot for work since I was about 22 or something. Um, but I then all of a sudden developed this worry that while I was on a plane in some way, nuts would get nut particles. I don't know how they would, would, um, would get into my mouth. Um, and I would, ingest them and I would have an anaphylactic reaction on the plane. And so I used to sit on the plane for the whole time and I'd look at the, there's, you can look when you're on a plane at how, where your plane is um, and how far it is from your destination. And I would look at that and just watch it the whole time. And in my head, just be making things up about how, if I, um, you know, it, it, I might've been flying from Melbourne to Sydney. And once it got to the 20 minute mark, when we were kind of going closer into Sydney, then I would feel a little bit less worried because I knew that if I had a reaction on the plane, I could probably last 20 minutes before I had to get to hospital. Um, and the, the worst thing about this was, was that I was making these, these worries up in my head. And when, when I, I suppose when, nothing happened because of course the risks that I was making up weren't very, there, there was hardly a high chance of them happening. I would be relieved. I'd be relieved when we landed and I hadn't had an anaphylactic reaction, even though I hadn't even been near nuts. I would be relieved when I, when I'd, you know, maybe woken up for half an hour from half an hour of sleep when Dalton had been away because I was safe in the morning. Um, and, but still I, I kind of thought that this was normal. And then um, I was speaking to one of my close friends and, and great friends, Michelle Andrews, um, who also has anxiety about this and, and about my worries. And I said, you know, I'm just, I, you know, it's normal to worry. It's just, it's, it's just what we do as humans. We worry. And Michelle kind of said, you, I, I suppose she said to me in the, the kindest way possible and with so much love because she wanted me to be able to, I suppose, get help for my anxiety. Um, like she has done for hers. And she said, you know, Laura, maybe, um, this could actually be anxiety. Like you're not meant to worry this much. You're not meant to, you know, stay up all night worrying something will happen to you or worry that you're not going to land safely in a plane. Like that's not normal. And, and you can actually fix it. Um, and so I, that, conversation with her I suppose was for me the way that I realized that I had it and how I've been able to deal with it from from then so that is why I um really wanted to get Jodie on and I've wanted to do this podcast for such a long time um but I think now is, is such an important time to do it because we're all going through a lot of, um, I suppose, stress and, and we just feel overwhelmed and there's so much unknown in this in this time um, with COVID-19. And so I thought it would be a really nice time to talk about it and 
let you guys know that if anyone is suffering from anxiety right now, it's okay. It's completely normal. And, and there's things that, that you can do to help you, help you with this. Um, and so I really hope that you enjoy this conversation. Thank you so much for joining me, Jody. I'm so excited to speak to you and I think our community will benefit so much from your wisdom. So thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here, Laura. Well done on um, having this and, and talking about anxiety. It's such a critical topic at the moment more than ever. I wanted to start with speaking about the statistics about anxiety. I think we often think that we're the only ones that have it, but when you hear about the statistics, it's actually really common. Are you you able to share some light on that? Yeah, for sure. It is really common. Uh, When we're talking about statistics, often the statistics that are quoted are clinical anxiety. So that is anxiety to the point that it's causing prolonged fear, suffering and avoidance in a person's life. And the statistics vary to some degree, but it tends to hover around 25% of the population. And so one in four people experiencing anxiety at clinical levels. And however, when I talk about anxiety, I like to conceptualize anxiety as part of our common human experience and to recognize that we all experience anxiety to some degree and where it starts to encroach in these more extreme levels, it is really where it's taking a pronounced impact on a person's life. Absolutely. It's actually so scary that, I mean, it's so common, one in four, and and that's obviously clinically diagnosed. So obviously it's such a common thing. And I just think it's really important for anyone listening right now that does feel, um, that does have anxiety to know that you're not alone. And it's so common. Um, Can you talk about what is anxiety? Is there a definition? Yeah, so anxiety is our physiological reaction to perceived threat or to threat in our environment. Mm. And so what happens is it's actually an incredibly important part of who we are as human beings. It keeps us alive in dangerous situations because we have some sort of perception in our environment, which if we take it right back to primitive times, it, it might be a tiger in our midst or some sort of predator. And so our brain kicks in and we get hijacked by the amygdala, the part of our brain that activates the fight or flight reaction to set our body up to fight or to run away from that threatening thing in our environment. And that's what anxiety is. Anxiety is our physiological reaction to perceived threat. And, uh, and so, but the problem in contemporary society is that we have got a greater level of complexity in our world. So we are inundated with things that are possibilities. Uh, so mm. fear of not being good enough, fear of being judged, fear of something bad happening to our health and well-being. And so the fight or flight reaction kicks in in response to these perceived threats as opposed to just in response to real threat when our world was a lot more simple and things were either friend or foe. (laughs) Yeah, and it's so crazy. I mean, I I personally suffer with anxiety and I know that some of the threats that I suppose are just things that the, the chance of them happening is probably 0.1% 
0.0001, but I, in my mind, can sometimes make them feel like there's a 99% chance that it's going to happen. And if it actually doesn't happen, I'm surprised. Yes. Um, and, yes. And that's that kind of flight or fight response, isn't it? Just always, always in this kind of fight, more my mind often is always in this response mode that I just, every, every risk that I'm around, I kind of have got a problem, a solution for them, I suppose, in my mind, because I'm so certain that it's going to happen. Yeah, it's a really great way that you you describe it. In essence, it is fear of uncertainty, what you're describing. And, uh, you know, in the space that I work as an anxiety expert and and, uh, CEO and founder of Sydney Anxiety Clinic, where I'm working with people uh, in that space who experience high levels of um, anxiety and stress, whether it's adults, children or teens, and also the other hat that I wear is as a high-performance coach, um, there is this underpinning that I find with the people who I work with, A, it's almost like a superpower. And in fact, mm. there are many times I conceptualise anxiety as a superpower. I talk about it as a superpower quite often because people like you, Laura, these, these magnificent human beings who have got <laughs> beautiful, warm caring, kind hearts, wanting to, wanting to give, wanting to share, wanting to help, um, and analytical minds. I mean, that thinking about the future, that's this magnificent, deep thinking mind and a deeply passionate heart, which is, so I consider myself so privileged to be able to work with these kinds of people very, very often. Um, and so there's something about anxiety that really sets us up for let's say for um for do, for doing wonderful things and you know so, sometimes i just say people care because they care you care because you care if you weren't a kind caring human being uh you won't be wouldn't be concerned about the future <laughs> you know oh how good to just be laissez faire and throw caution to the wind right um yeah, yeah. absolutely i always think of that i'm like i wish i just didn't worry <laughs> Correct, correct. And so that's the essence of success right there is the awareness around worry. Okay. Because so the mind strength methodology, which is the methodology that uh, I've developed to help people with anxiety, and it truly deeply does transform lives very uh, very quickly. And it's it's not rocket science. It's very straightforward. And it really is about building awareness around what are your worry thoughts and and allowing yourself to leverage that awareness to get some distance from that worry story and to bring it back to your values, okay? Because your values, which is what's in your heart, your values are the essence of who you are. Your values are your next level um, care and kindness and desire to serve, right? Um, and and so if we take it out of that worry headspace and back to your heart and your passion and your purpose, this is the essence of success. And that is core to the mind strength methodology. How with worry, I think the, and something that you speak about a lot is perceived risk versus actual risk. How do you kind of differentiate in your mind between the two? Because I find sometimes I, I know I can identify when I'm over worrying. I'm worrying too much 
But then I think to myself, hang on, if I stop worrying, maybe I'm actually going to put myself at risk because I'm not protecting myself. So how, how can you identify between an actual risk and I suppose a perceived risk that's being played up by your anxiety? So it's a great question. Uh, we won't, we won't, ne- we won't necessarily know because we mm. don't have a crystal ball. <laughs> um, and that's the, that's the problem, right? Because we want to know. And people, a lot of the people who I work with, really high performers and high achievers, oftentimes, um, perfectionism kicks in because perfectionism is, I must have certainty. I must know that I'm not going to fail. I must know that I'm not going to make a mistake. I must know that something bad is not going to happen. Mm. And so we get caught up in this feedback, this spiral where we try to get certainty when there is no certainty. And so uh, we, we can't necessarily answer that question, but what we can do is bring it back to the present moment, recognize worry as an unhelpful mental process and move it, uh, think about, okay, what's in my control? And what's out of my control here? How can I move out of uh, out of worry and into problem solving and action planning, where um, where problem solving is in my control? I'm working on the things that are in my control. I know that worry just leads to more worry, so I'm going to reflect on problem solving and action planning and move forward aligned to that. And to, to a certain degree, we have to sit with the discomfort of uncertainty and recognize that we're not, we're not going to have certainty. And uh, so, so this is the essence of success right there. Now, for somebody who loves to be in control and who knows that when they are in control, they get things done and they do it really, really well, right? <laughs> this is, this is the heart and soul of high performers. Um, the challenge is, is we're not always going to be in control. And so in the current context, as an example, where there's, there's a lot of uncertainty, we've had to pivot and move and adapt our businesses almost overnight to pair it back to, to leverage digital to the best way we can. As an example, we're, we're thrust into a world of uncertainty. And so this is why now more than ever, we're experiencing uh, such a high escalation of anxiety and stress. Absolutely. That, that's such great advice. Thank you so much for sharing that. What are some of the signs of anxiety for anyone listening? Um, I, I know myself, I didn't know that I had it for such a long time because I just thought worrying 24-7 was just a part of life. Um, are there certain signs apart from the worry that you can look out for or is worry the main kind of sign? Yeah, there are definitely signs. And so really there are two large chunks of this that we want to look out for. And worry is one of those uh, because Mm -hmm. anxiety is our physiological response to worry thoughts predominantly. Now, we might have a biological predisposition to anxiety. Oftentimes, I do see uh, when I'm working with people, there there is the large majority of individuals will have some sort of a family history of anxiety, not always, but certainly the majority of people do. So there is some biological um, vulnerability, uh, but certainly environmental factors. In terms of the actual signs, 
the anxiety in and of itself, as we know, is the fight or flight reaction. So it's our body kicking in to set ourselves up to fight or to run away from a dangerous situation or, uh, but we're, we're running away from a perceived danger. Now, what happens is the amygdala, uh, kicks in and activates adrenaline and cortisol in our bloodstream. And so we get rapid shallow breathing. So our heart rate might escalate. The purpose of that is to pump out our um, oxygen through our muscles, through our blood, to pump up our muscles, to set our body up to fight or to run as effectively as possible. So um, with that, you know, if we were to run a sprint, we'd probably come first. <laughs> we'd do really well. Um, and so we might get sweaty. We might get clammy. Uh, the other thing is we can't think straight sometimes. And the purpose of that is because we don't want to be cluttered by extraneous thoughts. If we were running away from a, a tiger, we don't want to be thinking about what we're going to have for dinner or, or you know, who we're going to be going out with on the weekend. <laughs> we just want to get the hell out of there. Um, so this is why sometimes if we're in that heightened state of fight or flight, our mind becomes a little bit foggy. We can't think straight. So there's some of the, the sensations that we might experience. I don't typically call it symptoms because I don't like to conceptualize anxiety in a medical frame because I want to destigmatize anxiety. I really want people to feel empowered. Um, I'm all about my brand. My brand is, um, is Dr. Jody from anxiety to action because recognize anxiety is to such a large degree your superpower. For those of you who are listening and who experience anxiety, I do want you to reflect on the inherent qualities of individuals. Remember you care because you care. And so we want to not necessarily think, oh, I'm flawed. There's something wrong with me. I'm, I'm, I'm ill. Um, you know, let's get out of that perception around disorder because when we think that we're flawed, that triggers a sense of shame and guilt. And what do we do when we experience shame? We try and numb these emotions and we try and hide them. And that's why we're seeing such an escalation of um, self-harm, of suicide, of, um, you know, people turning to drugs and alcohol to numb these difficult emotions. So in essence, the mind strength methodology is all about recognizing that all feelings are okay it's not about not having the feelings, but it's about how can we respond to those feelings with helpful actions rather than unhelpful actions. I can't even explain how much I relate to that I, for so long. Um, obviously, through what I do on social media, I share everything that I feel. And my anxiety was something I did not share for so long because I used to think, how could you share this? Because how are people going to be inspired by you if you're so flawed? Yes. And you, you know, you don't have it all together. So why would they look up to you? And I, that was something that I, I thought about so much, but I think it's so nice to identify parts about anxiety that it, it is, you know, it can be positive in some ways because it means that you are really caring. And I think it's really nice that you speak to that. Um, because for so long, I was so scared to talk about it because I was embarrassed. And I thought, you know, I can't be a leader in, in my company. I can't, and be a leader or inspiration to young women because I'm, I'm flawed. But it, that's not the case at all. 
Yeah, and your transparency and authenticity, I mean, talk about superpower right there. That's just magnificent. Mm-hmm. To lead by example, by being real, by being you, by by um, self-compassion and kindness and extending that kindness to others as well. This and, and just being a role model of authenticity, um, I think that that's so magnificent. And, you know, the... the the impact that you and I can share by, by, you know, talking about this right now for, let's say, young, young women, young men who are struggling now thinking, I have to be perfect in order to be okay. Mm-hmm. This is such a challenge in society at the moment because, you know, as, as incredible as digital technology is, as, as much as it's allowing us to share our thought leadership and share our passions with the world and, and connect, um, it does, if we go down a fear driven path, what it can do is it can have the risk of perpetuating a myth of perfection and, mm-hmm. and making people think, I have to um, show only show my airbrushed version of myself. I have to be absolutely perfect in order to be okay because what happens is that's what people do show is their perfect versions of themselves. And so it leads to this myth of perfection. And, uh, and, and so people then think, well, gosh, I'm not perfect, which means I'm flawed, which means I'm not good enough. And that is the challenge of perfectionism. Perfectionism is typically fear-driven. It's based on a belief that says, I have to be perfect in order to be okay. And as we all know, there's no such thing as perfect. And so what that what happens with that is we're never okay. We're never okay in our own eyes. And so then we have to um, numb those difficult uh, emotions. So society, particularly within our um, adolescent population or a young adult population. Um, there's an enormous uh, amount of self-harm that takes place mm. and self-harm is an attempt to numb difficult emotions. Uh, it's people trying to, trying to cope in, in the way that they know how to cope. And so what we need to do, what I feel a deep duty of care to do uh, with the world at large is to help empower human beings with a toolkit that really helps them at the deepest possible level to move from anxiety into effective and empowered action, into value-driven actions, into resilient actions. And there's so much that we can do to help people on scale. Absolutely. And with social media, has obviously we, with social media, I mean, I'm in, I suppose, a different position because I put myself in a position where my profile's on public. But I think there's a lot of other platforms where even people that, you know, might not have a big following or just have their friends can still get, I suppose, bullied in, in some ways and get troll comments and things like that. Does anxiety, does that kind of harm our, our ability to identify between a trolling comment and constructive criticism? Because if we're always striving for perfection, and I think I, I just relate to this so much every time um, we get or I get any negative feedback through social media, I automatically, I take it on board the whole thing, even if it's some, you know, random person from another country that's never met me. I, I, I let them absolutely take over my worth and I think, okay, they're, they're right. I need to fix this because I, I need to be perfect. So is that is that anxiety kind of causing that? Uh, if it's fear driven, 
uh, then mm, it's, it is it is anxiety. Is. If mm. it's fear of not being good enough or fear of being judged negatively, uh, so that would be, uh, you know, within the realm of social anxiety or performance anxiety. Mm. It's not, it, it, it's only cl- categorised as clinical anxiety if it's getting in the way of an individual living their life the way they would otherwise choose to live it or it's causing uh, prolonged fear and suffering and avoidance. Um, if you are able to notice that and to move it back to values to say, okay, that was tough. That was tough, but how can I respond to that now in a more healthy and helpful way for myself as well as my community and not let that defeat me? Then that's the essence of resilience. Resilience is about bouncing back from challenging life experiences. And if you've got somebody that is, um, that is saying something that's mean and you are an inherently kind, caring human being, how can that not hurt? Of course, that's going to hurt. You care. Um, and so really it's about tapping into your resilience to say, okay, I, I, I know why this is hurting right now because I care, but I'm not going to let this person get in the way of me continuing on my mission to help other people and to share actions and strategies that will help on scale or whatever that might be, whatever you value. If you bring it out of that fear and back into values um, and have clarity of what that is, that is very, very powerful. Yeah, it sure is. What about um, stress? Where How does stress work in with anxiety? Is it different? Is it the same thing? Um, it's a, another great question. You know, there's, there's similarities. So, um, well, it, it basically is the same thing. Um, uh, it's, it's the fight or flight, but where I differentiate and there probably would be different conceptualizations of this. And, and so there's not necessarily any right or wrong around this, but, um, anxiety, when we're talking about anxiety, typically we're talking about, um, something that might have a relationship with a particular worry thought or a particular story around things that you're worried about. Whereas, um, Stress is probably more in the immediate moment. I'm stressed. This situation, I feel out of control. I don't like what's going on. And so that kicks us into that fight or flight uh, state of mind, that fight or flight mindset. And so we get this surge of adrenaline and cortisol through our bloodstream. And that might be the stress response. The stress response is there to, to serve us as we talked about previously, in times that we have to fight or have to run as quickly as possible. Um, And it's not necessarily all bad. You know, if we are focused on our goals and focused on, I've got a job to do right now, I've got to get this done as quickly as possible, I'm focusing on my goals, that adrenaline can that's that's being pumped right that's being buoyant and Mm. that's that can do hell yeah kind of attitude which is awesome so when I'm working with um with leaders uh I do a lot of work with uh as you know high performance individuals and when I'm working with leaders we kind of really embrace this and say let's embrace it let's be empowered by it but it comes down to what is driving that am I being driven by by my fears by my threat or am I being driven by my goals and my vision and my passion and my purpose? Mm. 
What about um, the different types of anxiety? So we've spoken about social anxiety and then I suppose striving for perfection. Um, there's also health anxiety, isn't there? Are they the three main types? Yeah, because in essence, we're talking about uncertainty. Um, so mm. performance, social, health, all of these things tip us into this world of the unknown. And we struggle and try and get certainty. But we we, we actually, it's rare that we're going to have certainty um, about the future. We don't have a crystal ball. And so health anxiety is fear of an unknown physical health problem. Potentially, um, in essence, we care because we care. Uh, we want to keep ourselves safe and we want to keep our loved ones safe. And that's a good thing. So is it common to have um, a kind of anxiety in, in all of those areas or do people usually just kind of have it in one of the areas? Uh, it, it can be. It, it's common to have it in one. But mm -hmm. some people can have it in all. And uh, so it just depends. You know, anxiety shows up in – there's many, many different faces of anxiety. And so – and let's also keep in mind that this is the fight-or-flight reaction. So oftentimes uh, it can be anger. It can be agitation. It can be aggression. It can be frustration. It doesn't have to be avoidance or being passive or being shy. You know, these these are the many varied faces of anxiety. So each person might be a little bit different, but, um, you know, I, I do as much work in men's mental health as I do in women's mental health. I'm really about helping society at large. And oftentimes there is a misunderstanding of uh, anger and aggression type features. And so... If it might just be that frustration that's kicking in because of this perceived threat. So reconceptualizing that can be very, very helpful for people as well. I, I personally, I've got a nut allergy and I found that I'm working through it and I'm okay now, but there was a time where I couldn't, or it still kind of is now, when I go on a plane, I can't eat anything because I'm so worried it could have nuts, even if it's something that I've eaten my whole life and I know it doesn't have it on the plane in that situation. I, I can't because of the, the fear that I build up in my mind, I suppose, about having an anaphylactic reaction while I'm on the plane. Um, and I think that for me was another a way that I ident identified that I did have it because I thought before it could kind of anxiety could just come up in ways of, um, I suppose, striving for perfection and then social areas as well. But I think identifying it in, in I suppose, in terms of my health has helped me come to terms with it as well. And the mind strength methodology would be able to help you <laughs> within weeks. Honestly, honestly, people do not need to suffer in silence. These things are so, I, I talk about helpable. I don't even talk about treatable, you know, um, I talk about helpable. We can turn these sorts of problems around within, uh, you know, certainly six to six to eight weeks, um, if not less, sometimes we can get profound transformation super fast. And this is on the back of me working with thousands of people um, experiencing um, extreme levels of anxiety. So this particular example that you raise is a fabulous one because it is so helpable. Now, even though I, I wanted to just 
um, be clear that although I don't um, conceptualise anxiety in a medical frame, um, there is very much a time and place for medication and as well as meditation, <laughs> okay? So long as there's an evidence base behind it, um, so scientific support for the effectiveness of it, uh, this is something that I would um, go into bat for, for strategies. So I would probably be what's considered a hybrid therapist where, uh, you know, there will be a time and place where medication is warranted, uh, but there is certainly an absolutely overwhelming number of situations where anxiety is a resolvable, helpable thing. Helpable, I, by the way, is not in the dictionary, but I think it's just <laughs> such a beautiful word. Actually, I, maybe it is in the dictionary. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yes, so, so there will be a time and place for medication in certain situations, but for a very large number of human beings on this planet, I really would love you to feel empowered and hopeful that there is a toolkit of practical strategies uh, that can turn lives around to enable you to move from anxiety to effective, value-driven, heart-driven action. Amazing. Um, and do you recommend naming the worry in your head as something to, I, I suppose, like giving it a character name or something so then you can identify it when it comes up? 100%. Um, and that's core to the mind strength methodology. The mind strength method says, let's, let's um, uh, talk about worry, bossing us around and let's stand up to it. Let's feel empowered to engage in the strategies that can make a difference for you to move from worry into effective action to move from anxiety into empowerment, to move from worry into problem solving. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so these are some of the key messages and it, uh, it works. If someone's listening right now and um, they might not have identified that they have anxiety or, you know, a very, I suppose there, there's a scale of anxiety, isn't there? You can have it in a, in a small amount and then um, I suppose clinically, is that how you would explain it? Yeah, um, so I conceptualise anxiety as on a continuum, very much so, on a continuum of normal human behaviour. You know, it, when I'm speaking um, in, to to rooms of um, thousands of people, right, we, I, I might say, hands up who hasn't experienced anxiety um, and, you know, how many hands would go up, uh, you know, uh, very, very few and or potentially I might say, you know, everybody put your hand up and those of you who have, um, haven't have experienced anxiety, put your, put your hands down. And, and the ones who don't put their hands down are the ones who are anxious about putting their hands down. So, you know, in essence, we all experience anxiety to some degree because if we didn't, uh, we wouldn't have this inherent survival instinct and we would not survive. Um, and so, you know, it's the... Um, it's the part of us that keeps us uh, engaged and active and focused on important things in our environment. So, and also um, 
uh, it, it is really about the st- strategies that can help everybody. So whether I'm working as a high performance coach with entrepreneurs, with business owners, with business leaders, with elite athletes, you know, I work with some Olympians at the moment. Um, these sorts of things, these strategies help everybody. So it's not just about um, having clinical anxiety. These are, these are mindset strategies for mental health and well-being. So these are strategies. The mind strength methodology helps everybody. And uh, so, if you're experiencing more extreme anxiety, that's okay. If you're experiencing mild anxiety, that's okay. It doesn't mean that you have to qualify to engage in these strategies. They're just things that help humankind, really. And if someone is listening to this right now and thinking, hang on, that's me and that's me and that they might have experienced anxiety, what can they do? Uh, what can they do is really notice, notice what's going on, notice what worry is telling you. Can you bring it back to the present moment? So a lot of mindfulness strategies are very, very helpful here. Um, observe, allow, acknowledge, validate. So say, all feelings are okay. I know why this is happening. Can I bring it back to the present moment? Can I think about what is in my control and what is out of my control? Can I move from worry into problem solving and action planning and move forward aligned to that? So awareness is incredibly important. Awareness is one of the most powerful tools in the toolkit. Can we move from that awareness, move from anxiety into action and embrace life aligned to your heart space, to what gives you a sense of meaning, purpose and fulfillment and stand up to worry? not let it boss you around. Yeah, that's. I think that's so important. And everyone listening, maybe write that down um, to stand up to worry because I think that that is, I don't think we realise that we can because it's in our own mind, but we, we obviously can do that. So that's that's really special. We've spoken about social anxiety. Can you talk to what that is? Social anxiety is a fear of being judged negatively. And in a world where... We are on social media and, you know, we have this fear of missing out or fear of not being good enough. Um, Social anxiety is really quite rampant and it's hard. You know, we want to be great. We want to fit in. We are tribal beings as human beings, safety in numbers, all of this sort of stuff. So it taps into our primitive survival instincts. If we're not included in the tribe, we might get gobbled up by a tiger um, if we're an outlier in that in that uh, tribe. So a lot of these um, a lot of these things are very primitive to us as humans. So if we experience social anxiety because we fear that we're not going to fit in or we fear that we're not good enough, that is super understandable, very normal, but obviously not very helpful. So uh, it's about standing up to that worry story that's taking hold Um, and recognising that what we put out on social media to a very large degree is not necessarily a reflection of of how we look when we get up in the morning or, um, you know, the, the challenges that are going on in our daily lives. 
And the beauty of social media now is we have, um, you know, people such as yourself, Laura, who, who do <laughs> embrace authenticity, as we talked about earlier, and who lead by example by saying transparency is okay. You know, this is one of my, my core values is authenticity and being real. Um, and so, you know, it, it is in essence fear of being judged negatively. Okay, so does that, because I find personally with with my social anxiety, and it's funny speaking to friends about this, because I have some friends that deal with their anxiety by being busy all the time and going out and always socializing. Whereas myself personally, I sometimes I get, I suppose I build up anxiety before I go, because I suppose you have this fear of, um, I don't know, when you're with people not um, not being funny enough or not being entertaining enough or not being not having a good enough conversation with them. And so in some ways it kind of stops me from going out because I have that fear, whereas then obviously I have other friends who are quite the opposite and they like to fill all their time with social activities so they don't have to think about it. So can we have different types of social anxiety? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And it's awareness, again, around what are some of those fear-driven thoughts? What are some of those fear-driven actions? Um, you know, avoidance is a classic example of that. And so it's breaking that down and standing up to some of those behaviours. Um, and very doable, you know. It, again, awareness will be critical here to say, okay, um, how can I stand up to some of those fear-driven things and approach rather than avoid? And it's it's easy to say uh, doing it is another thing because, as we know, <laughs> if worry bosses us around, is a big nasty bully in our life, right? Um, it's not necessarily easy to stand up to a bully. And so this is the same. This is how anxiety plays out. And then when we feel that uh, fight or flight, which feels really unpleasant and really challenging and our prefrontal cortex, which is our rational thinking is shutting down because we're being hijacked by the amygdala part of our brain. Um, it becomes very challenging to stand up to those sorts of fear driven actions in that moment. So there are strategies that we work through together that enables us to stand up to those things and move forward um, in a way that you choose, not uh, the way that worry is telling you. Hmm. And if we do find that we do have anxiety, what are some things that we can do? I would like to break this into two. So firstly, things that we can do at home ourselves, like maybe exercising can help relieve, relieve anxiety, things like that. And then secondly, um, if you find that that's not helping and you need to do more, um, do we, you know, we can go speak to someone, what else can we do to, I suppose, get through anxiety? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the mind body connection is incredibly important. Uh, it's, you know, there's an enormous amount of science to support the power of exercise and movement. It stimulates dopamine, it stimulates endorphins. It's, um, super helpful to, um, for our mental health and well-being. So um, all you PTs out there, hell yeah, you're making my job enormously easier. So thank you (laughs) Um, uh, because this is a critical part to helping ourselves. So exercise, eating well, you know, we recognise the serotonin regulation in our um, 
uh, in our gut, uh, you know, all of these sorts of things, getting good sleep. Um, these are the foundation stones. But yes, absolutely working with a professional rather than suffering in silence is something that can be tremendous. So as a um, doctor of clinical psychology, I know the training that we go through, um, you know, let's say it's a boot camp of training uh, that is a very, very high level of qualifications and training that's rigorous to help people with mental health challenges. So absolutely no need to suffer in silence when there are people out there who are incredibly well skilled to help with anxiety. And I'm very much on a heart-driven mission to share my mind strength methodology with the world um, because knowing how much it has helped people very quickly to embrace values alignment and get on with life in a really powerful way. And I'm deeply hopeful that it can really help other people on scale. So by all means, um, you know, connect with me directly. I'd be super delighted to um, to liaise with your community, um, you know, and just just help on scale is uh, what this is all about. Hmm. And what about in this time that we're in now, um, obviously with Corona, there's so much unknown, which I suppose is just not great for anyone with anxiety. Has it, would it also be a time when people that kind of haven't had anxiety before, it, it's been brought on in them um, because of all of the unknown going on? Yeah, absolutely right. Um, you know, the last uh, few weeks, um, you know, I, I've got to practice what I preach in talking about making sure you get enough sleep because <laughs> my heart space is so wide open, Laura, it's not funny. My heart, I feel this pull from my heart to, to help the world at the moment because the world is crying out, um, you know, next level suffering that's going on and deep uncertainty at the moment around you know, what's happening around the world and seeing people going through so much suffering um, and, and people, you know, having to shut down their businesses overnight, um, you know, bankruptcy left, right and centre. If only we could help just reach out and help serve the world through this very, very challenging time. But if we talk about everybody, what's sort of tapping into each and every one of us is the distress of uncertainty, not knowing what this means for our livelihood, but for our life. Uh, how are we going to get through this? Are they going to find a vaccination? Um, what does it actually mean? What, uh, what, uh, how do we con contract this in the first place? You know, so many unknowns. And fortunately, you know, you and I living in Australia, now we are uh, hopefully, please goodness, we can tip into very much a headspace of hopefulness around new drug treatment coming up. Uh, we're on a path, uh, an impassioned path to pursue a vaccination and learning how to manage this. So really opening up this world of hopefulness around we will get through. And what, what I am very much about is, again, moving it from a fear-driven headspace into a, a, into a mindset of empowerment that although we are socially isolating now, in essence, it's disconnection, but... The irony of this, the incredible underpinning of it is that it is actually connection at the deepest level. Mm. 
It is deep connection where together we will win. Together we will get through this. And how magnificent is that? It's bringing us back to community at the deepest possible level. Um, so I, you know, I'm getting goosebumps even talking about this, how it's, it's pairing us back to, to lean on, leaning on each other with love, with kindness, with care, um, with interconnection, because we cannot achieve this alone. We are dependent on one another in order to, to win. Um, and also it's bringing us back to our core tribe. It's bringing us back to our family. So, family and um, how can we move, how can we try and move from threat into trying to find whatever semblance of silver linings are coming from this deeply challenging life experience that we are going through. And as we, as I'm sure um, your community knows, uh, kindness and gratitude, uh, the evidence base behind seeking, uh, engaging in kindness for ourselves and also extending acts of kindness to others is a really fabulous mood booster. It will, it's a very wonderful way to, to help others, of course, but also to help ourselves. Um, we feel better when we extend kindness to others. And if we move and try and find, even if we have to look under some rocks somewhere, find the things that we can feel grateful for um, in this very, very challenging time that we're going through. Uh, these are things that I'm hearing in the in the immediate community, uh, but also in the global community about what this is doing for the environment and how in some countries where they, they haven't seen blue sky for a long time, how they're now starting to see the blue sky, they're hearing the birds, you know, the silence in the street is something that we haven't experienced for quite a while. So yes, it is a little bit surreal and it is scary in many respects, but if we can try and find those uh snippets of silver lining, snippets that we can feel grateful for that will help us to move out of anxiety and into more effective action. Yeah, it's crazy how grateful we feel, well, I feel now for the, the smallest things that I used to just take for granted. And I think and I hope that coming out of this, when we all get through it, because we will, that we can all just have a little bit more gratitude for the little things that actually mean so much. And it's funny you speak about community and connection because while we're obviously in isolation and we're probably having less face-to-face -face contact than we have in a very long time, I feel more connected with people because I, I feel like online, digitally and through FaceTime and things, communities have come together because I think we're all acknowledging that we need each other. We need this connection and this, this feeling of community to get through it. And I think it's really special. It is really special. And uh, certainly Sydney Anxiety Clinic, uh, in extending help to others, we are doing digital therapy. And so DigiHealth, telehealth, it allows us to have a global reach and thank goodness we have technology, video conferencing technology. So when I'm working with my clients, whether it's my leaders, 
um, around the world. So I've got, um, you know, I was talking with someone in Amsterdam yesterday and somebody in, uh, in Japan tomorrow. And this is incredible, incredible opportunities to, um, connect with people around the world. So thought leadership, uh, you can extend and reach and connect with anybody or not even thought leadership if it's just simply connection. Um, so just because it is through a digital medium, it doesn't mean that it's disconnection. So social isolation does not equal social disconnection. What we know about mental health, because we are tribal beings, we crave connection. Connection is critical for our mental health and well-being. And yes, connection, physical touch, there's a lot that um, the science talks about around face-to-face uh, -face physical connection as the essence of the kind of connection that we need. But in a context where we are not able to have that connection, um, VC and digital and social is allowing us to connect with our loved ones, uh, with our family, with our friends and with our broader community. Yeah, that's, it's so important. And for people that I suppose, I, I think that actually might really help with the next question I was going to ask you, which is for people who use coping mechanisms for their anxiety, such as socialising and, and being busy all the time, um, what can they do to substitute those things in the downtime? Is that connecting digitally? Yeah, well, we want to not focus on what's out of our control. We want to bring it back to, okay, this is a, a new temporary normal, let's say. How can we pivot? How can we be agile? How can we change our immediate environment? Uh, no matter what that immediate environment is, you know, what, how can you move your furniture around so you, you know, drag the coffee table to the side to make sure that you've got a space to do your exercise if you can't get to the gym? Um, what can you create at home? What, uh, you know, PTs can you access online? Um, what, uh, what community groups can you facilitate? How can you set up a, you know, a Zoom dinner? <laughs> a dinner, um, um, dinner date, whatever it might be. So we are just dealing, we've got to tip it from the how bad this is to how can I make it the best possible context that I can work through um, within my immediate environment. And, uh, and self-respect, self-compassion, self-kindness, uh, acknowledging that you are the most important person in the world. It's got to start with you. You have to fit your own oxygen mask in order to be able to help others. Um, so don't think that looking after yourself is selfish. It's really important. Your mental health, your well-being, your physical health, these are very, very valuable, valuable, important things um, to be able to embrace the world in the most uh, wonderful way that you can, no matter what the context. I absolutely love that. Thank you so much, Jody. I think people will take so much from this and you will have helped so many members of our community with um, all the amazing things and information you have to share. So thank you so much for joining me on, on the podcast. Yeah, it's such an absolute pleasure, Laura. I'm so excited to um, to share these 
thoughts and this conversation with you, with the world, and congratulations on the incredible work that you're doing. It's really, really magnificent. Oh, thank you so much. And hopefully we'll talk again soon. Can't wait. Take care.